is we're going to say, remember that summer we did worship services outside? Do you remember that summer? That's what we're going to say one day, okay? I think it's going to be awesome. You know, I have some heroes in the faith, people like George Whitfield and, and John Wesley, some great preachers from the 1800s. John Wesley, they say, used to preach like five or six sermons a day, and he would ride on horseback from one place to the next, and there was no amplification. There's no shade, you know, except the shade tree that might be there. So we got it made today, don't we? This is the life, right? We can be worshiping outside together in the middle of coronavirus. I'm glad we're here. And it's going to be especially good because we are talking about the end times and hell tonight, today. That's great, right? Woo! Wait, no cheers? No cheers for end times and hell? <laughs> silence, just complete silence. Well, I'm glad that you guys are here, and I hope that if you are new, you already texted in. We are going to finish our series today, the, the No Ordinary People series, because I, I think that this theology of the image of God is so important to us, and what we're going to look at today is about the eternality, the everlasting nature of every single human being, and why that's important to us now. You know, I have gotten several questions uh, about, is, is this the end times? I'm sure you've seen some people post about it, talk about it, even preachers saying, oh, this is it. We got coronavirus. We got a pandemic going on. There's a plague, racial tensions, political strife, and, and people opposing each other. We've never been this divided, right? And, and then you hear about crazy things like murder hornets, and you're like, it's the end. I'm sure you've seen the meme that's going around. I don't know if you can see it on this picture if you're watching online that, that's, that has a lady looking outside. What chapter of Revelation are we doing today, right? You guys seen this? A lot of people are wondering about this. Like, is this the end times? Are, are things, have we reached the point where it's the end of the world? So we're going to talk about that today. Because I think looking forward to the end times or, or wondering, are we in the end times, is actually helpful to us now. So we talk about the future, but we look at what that does for us now. And that's going to be really important for us today as we finish this series, No Ordinary People. Now, if you've missed any of this series, that's fine. You can go back and watch or listen to any one of the messages at stapletonchurch.com slash media. And in this series, we started out by looking at Genesis chapter 1 at the very beginning when God created human beings. He created us all in his image. We saw that the Imago Dei, that this that thing that God made us for, is, is something special, something extraordinary in every single human being. And so I challenge you to see the extraordinary in every person. And then in the second week, we looked at the story of Jonah, that even though we were taught it in Sunday school, there's actually some real deep meaning to it, and it has profound implications for us as adults or as teenagers today. And we learned that if God is for them, we should be as well. For all people, we should not write off anyone. And then Sawyer came last week and looked at a story from Daniel's life and saw how Daniel, living in a time of an evil empire still decided to live faithfully and made some difficult decisions. And in some of those difficult decisions, he stood out because extraordinary living points to an extraordinary God. And today, and today we're going to wrap up this series as we realize the truth and we are challenged to see everyone as everlasting. To see everyone as everlasting. Lasting. And if we begin to see that way, it's going to radically change, I believe, how we live now. See, everyone is everlasting. So what we're going to do is look at just three verses today. They're Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. 
And um, this section of Daniel is the section of Daniel most people just kind of ignore. If you read the first, like, six chapters, it's all the stories maybe you heard as a, a kid. You know, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's the handwriting on the wall. Like, oh, these are cool, amazing stories. And then we get halfway through the book, and we're like, okay, moving on. Um, if you've ever read Daniel, you know what I'm talking about, because it gets a little crazy. It gets a little crazy because the second half of Daniel are, are, are all these prophecies about things that are going to come, even about the end time. So here at the very end of the book, Daniel kind of wraps up these prophecies about things that would happen with kings and kingdoms and wars and violence. And then he, we get to chapter 12, verse 1, and we're going to actually start in the second half of verse 1, where it says, There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. So after all these prophecies, kings, kingdoms, battles, um, wars, earthquakes, all this crazy stuff that's going to happen, and then it says, okay, there's going to be a time of distress. A time of distress. Things are not going to be good. Things are going to be very bad in this time of distress. Now, biblically speaking, from Daniel or, or what Jesus taught, or, or even in the book of Revelation, that book that none of us have any clue what it's talking about, we, we look at it, there's, there's this time of distress or a time of tribulation, maybe the old-fashioned word that's used. And this time, it's going to be really bad. There's wars, rumors of wars. There's going to be people opposing Christ. The, the love of people who used to love Christ is going to grow dim. There's all these things happening at the end. It's going to be really bad. And then even if some people say there's a great tribulation, a great distress, as Daniel talks about, things are going to get bad, and then they're going to get even worse before the end. So the question that a lot of people are asking, well, so is that now? <laughs> Are we in those end times? Whether you call it tribulation or distress or, or whatever you want to call it, that's the question. Is it now? You know, I don't know if I can give you a definitive answer, but I think it's really fascinating that people say this. I think that we're a little bit egocentric and lack historical understanding. <laughs> because Daniel says there will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. So the time that Daniel's talking about, this great distress, is going to be worse than anything that has ever happened before in any nation. And I think what's happening today is bad. But we've even had worse things in our own nation's history, haven't we? Okay, I, I just did some number sleuthing this week that if today there are um, about 150,000 people now that have died of coronavirus, terrible, right? That's bad. But we have 330 people alive in our nation. If you go back to 1918 with the, the, the Spanish flu at the time, there was 100 million people living in the nation and 675,000 people died. Meaning that pandemic was 15 times worse death rate wise than ours is so far. And, and yes, we're early into this maybe, could get worse, but just the numbers based right now, it was 15 times worse 100 years ago. We don't remember that, do we? Okay. And we talk about political strife. We've never been more divided as a nation. Well, yes, actually we have. Okay. In 1860, there was this state called South Carolina that left our country along with 10 other states. And then there was a war that was fought a year later um, that 600,000 Americans were killed in. Remember hearing about this in school, Civil War, you've heard of it? So, and there were only 30 million people alive then. So the amount of deaths in the Civil War were 44 times the amount of deaths we're seeing today in the coronavirus, okay? So just in U.S. history, there's been much worse things than we're facing today, let alone looking at things that have happened in the world's history. So according to this line that there's, you know, has not happened from the beginning of nations until then, well, okay, it's been much worse, right? Can we just all agree on that? Things have been much worse than we have it today. Now, am I saying, therefore, it is not the end times? No. I don't think I can say that either. I don't see, think I can say that either. 
because things could get much worse, right? Okay, we're like one button away from nuclear war, right? One button press. Things could get much worse. There could be much more death even from this pandemic. We don't know. The point is that the question, if the question is, are we in the end times? The answer is yes. Where are we? We don't know. Because once Jesus ascended into heaven, after he lived his life on this earth, died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, it's the end times. Okay, so biblically speaking, the last 2,000 years are the end times. Okay, interesting, right? And if you think, wow, that's a long time. Well, if the earth is 4 billion years old or, or ever... Whatever, if you're a young earth person, 10,000 years old, okay, 2,000 years really isn't too long in in God's scheme of things. If a a year or a a day with God is like 1,000 years, okay, well then 2,000 years isn't that big of a deal, right? We're talking about God's scale, right? So I'm saying all this stuff to tell you that we might be in the end times, we are in the end times, but where are we? We don't know. And in fact, if you ever hear someone say, this is the end, this it's coming, they are wrong. Did you hear me? Watch it online. If someone tells you this is the end, Jesus is coming back, they are lying. They are wrong. Every person who claims to know that this is the very end, we know it for sure. Look at the signs. I've read the scriptures. I found the Bible code from the book of Ezekiel. I know the truth. They are lying and they are wrong. And I can say that definitively because Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus himself in the earthly life did not know when the end would be. And if he says no one knows, no one knows. Okay, is that definitive enough yet? He says the same thing in verse 44. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. In fact, usually if someone makes a prediction, you can expect that it's not going to be then. Because Jesus just said <laughs> it's not going to be then. Okay, we all on the same page with this. We are in the end times, but we're not in the end times like you're talking about. And no one knows when Jesus is coming. So if anybody is the expert in prophecy, they are wrong. Period. And I will say that boldly, because Jesus said it. I want to give you just a rundown of some of the predictions in history. And as far as I can tell, the first one was 365 AD. That a man proclaimed that that would be the year Jesus came back. Wrong. 500 AD. Three different Christians predicted 500 AD would be the year. All three of them wrong. There was a pope, the leader of the entire church, who declared that 1,000 A.D. would be the year that Jesus would come back. There were riots all over Europe because of it. Wrong. Christopher Columbus, yes, that Christopher Columbus, wrote a book of prophecy. He had three different uh, predictions about when Jesus would come back. 1656, wrong. 1658, wrong. And he did it again. He was wrong twice, right? Interesting. Interesting. There was another Puritan preacher, Cotton Mather. In 1697, he predicted it. Wrong. 1716. Wrong. 1736. Wrong. He's got three wrongs. It's a new record. Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism. Jesus was supposed to return in 1891. Wrong. Ellen White, the founder of Seventh-day Adventists, predicted it would be in her lifetime. Wrong. Jehovah Witnesses, 1914, 1918, 1927, and 1975. Wrong, 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 wrong. Four times wrong. New record. Jim Jones, the great cult leader, 1967, wrong. Charles Manson, 1969, wrong. Hal Lindsey wrote a bestseller, 1988, 88 reasons why it's going to happen, wrong. Then he moves to the next year, 89, he's wrong again. Then there was Y2K, the Mayans in 2012. The blood, blood Moon, remember this, back in 2014, 2015? Wrong, 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 wrong. Here's the best one, Harold Camping, you remember him? 1994, he predicted September 6th would be the day, he was wrong. Moved it back to the 29th. Maybe he had the numbers wrong. Wrong again. October 2nd, wrong. Three times wrong in one year. Impressive. 
Then he said again in 2011, you remember this? He had big old billboards all over the country. Said it would be in May. Wrong. October 2011. Wrong. Five times he predicted the wrong. That's, that's the record, I think. As far as I can tell, that is the record. Five times wrong. Because all these people predicted Jesus would come back and every single one of them has been wrong, right? We're still here. I think Niels Bohr was, was accurate when he said prediction is very difficult, especially if it's about the future. Okay. So no one knows the day or hour that Jesus is coming back. So are we in the end times? Yes. Are we in the end times? Not like your meaning. Is Jesus coming back? No one knows. Okay. Can we be as definitive as that? You guys good with me? But what are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus said, be prepared, right? Be ready because no one knows the day or hour. Because in reality, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be this afternoon. No one knows when it's going to be. It could be next year. It could be in somebody, your children or grandchildren's lifetime. We don't know. I think we're self-centered and don't know history enough to think, oh, it's going to be this year. It's going to be in my lifetime. I just know it. No, we don't know. But it could be. So the real question is, are you ready now? Seriously, that's the question. Are you ready now? And I think that's what Daniel's trying to teach us even then. Jesus emphasizes it even more, the book of Revelation, even more. Are you ready now? When we look to the future, it means something significant for us now. Because even if we don't make it till the day Jesus comes back, say it's 2,000 years from now, we will all die. Okay? Real uplifting message today, right? We're all going to die. Frank Pastore um, was an MLB pitcher. And he went on to be a Christian radio host, uh, a pretty famous Christian radio host. One day on the radio, it was just a few years ago, I think 2014, he, he said, you know, no one knows when they're going to die. I could die today. I, I ride my motorcycle in L.A. He said, I, I'm going to get on the, the 210 freeway this afternoon. I could be hit by a car and die. Well, guess what happened three hours after he said that on the air? He was on the 210 freeway, driving his motorcycle. He got hit by an SUV. He died. Hit his head and... That was the end of his life. I point that out because none of us knows the day of our or of our death or of Jesus' return. It could come at any time. So I think one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves is, am I ready for whenever that is? Am I ready? Am I ready now for what may happen in the future? If you're watching online or you hear my voice, are you ready? Are you ready now for what will happen in the future? And that's what Daniel goes on to talk about. In the third sentence of chapter 12, verse 1, he says, But at that time, whenever it is, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. So he's saying, hey, we know great distress is coming. We know we all may die. But if you have your name written in the book, then you will be delivered. You will be saved. Delivered, saved, synonyms. You'll be saved. Now, now, this is so important for us to hear because I don't think we want to have to face hell or judgment or destruction or, or death and not be ready. So we must have our name written in the book. So what book are they talking about? Okay, the, the book that they're talking about is not your high school yearbook. It is the book of life. And from all the way back in Moses in the book of Exodus, through the prophets, through the Psalms, Jesus spoke of this book. We're going to see it in just a few weeks when we're back in Luke. The book of Revelation talks about this book. There's this book that God has that has names written in it, the book of life. And if your name is written in that, you will be saved. You guys tracking with me? That's the book. 
And if your name is written in there, you will be saved. If not, you will not be saved from the distress and the judgment that is coming. I don't think it could get any clearer than that. And in verse 2, Daniel continues. This is important, okay? Pay attention to this. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. This is the clearest verse in the entire Old Testament, though there are others I would point to, that talk about the eternal, everlasting fate of every human being. And it's based on this verse in particular that we get our big idea today that we need to see everyone as everlasting. Because it says there are two fates to every person, everlasting life or everlasting contempt. Now, this is important. Now, even Christians who grow up in the church, myself included, don't really understand all of this. Okay, I, I, there's a great book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. I recommend if you are interested in this subject about heaven, hell, all that stuff, read it. It's great. But the reality is, is that when we die right now, so if I were to die this afternoon, God willing, that won't be a prediction. I'm not predicting that, okay? okay? If I were to die, if you as a believer in Jesus Christ were to die, you would go to what Jesus calls as paradise. Paradise is a pretty nice word, okay? This means it's going to be beautiful, amazing. God is going to be there. Jesus is going to be there. It's going to be the the presence of the fullness of joy with God himself. You'll be in paradise. And yet the Bible talks about that being an intermediate state. That is not the ultimate heaven that we are to look forward to. Okay, are you tracking with me? Maybe this is brand new information for you. The Bible teaches that there, when you die as a believer, there is an intermediate state you go to. It's paradise. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. And yet, it isn't even as great as it will be. Because in the book of Revelation, we learn that heaven will actually come down to earth. There will be a new earth. And then every single human being who has ever lived will have a resurrection. Okay, if you're thinking I'm getting out there, I am, right? But this is what the Bible teaches says every single person will be resurrected. That's why it says those who sleep in the dust of the earth. You have died, your body is buried in the earth, and then every body will be resurrected. You tracking with me still? I know this is fresh information. But we will all be risen from the dead. And that is when we will face the ultimate judgment. We will stand before the judgment seat, and we'll look at a passage in, in just a couple minutes that, that clarifies this. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Paul explains what's going to happen in that moment. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Sleep means dead there, okay? We're not all going to die, but every single person will be changed at the very end. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. That word changed is metamorphosis. There's going to be a metamorphosis that happens. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Meaning at the end, at this very end moment, whenever it is, we don't know, every single person will be risen from the dead, and will be given an immortal body. Okay? This is why we say there are no mere mortals, as... C.S. Lewis said, you've never talked to a mere mortal, he says, in the quote that we've looked at through this whole series. C.S. Lewis says, you have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. There are no temporary people. And that's why we need to see everyone as everlasting. We need to see everyone as everlasting. And this passage in Daniel and throughout the scriptures makes it very clear there are two fates. Every single person will live for immortality in one of two states. Everlasting life or everlasting contempt. 
Now, everlasting life, that sounds great, right? Everlasting life, this is, this is the fullness of life. This is when we have the new bodies where we walk the new earth, where there will be no more sickness, sorrow, pain, or death. I think one of the clearest passages on this, and I know I'm all over the Bible today, but it's so important for you guys to understand this. Revelation 21, 3-5 says, God's dwelling place is now among the people, looking forward to this everlasting life. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That sounds great, right? No more sadness, no more sickness, no more death. Isaiah talks about how there will be choice meats and fine wine. It's going to be a celebration, a party forever. Now that is the everlasting life that Daniel is speaking about here. But there's also a second fate. He calls it shame and everlasting contempt. And I thought that word contempt is interesting. I've never really thought, thought about it, but I looked specifically at the Hebrew. It's a word that only occurs twice in the entire Bible. Uh, this is written in Hebrew there. And that word is picked up again in Isaiah chapter 66, the very last verse of Isaiah. And there the prophet Isaiah says, And they will go out and look at the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me, the worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched. And they will be loathsome to all mankind. Loathsome. That's the word. Loathsome. It says people will look at these people who have rebelled against God and, and loathe them. They will be in contempt. That's disgusting. I don't want anything to do with those people. And, and that is the fate of those whose name is not written in the book of life. Jesus quotes that verse from Isaiah. He quotes it and says that hell... That's the place. Hell will be the place where the worm does not die. This is Mark 9, 48. And the fire is unquenched. Jesus would later talk about it as a place of darkness and as a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, just gnashing of teeth to me is hell enough, right? But when, when we hear that that could be the fate, that is why C.S. Lewis would say something like, like that those people are going to be immortal horrors. That fate awaits those whose name are not written in the book of life. And some people like to say, well, you know, it, it, is it really that long? Is it going to be for eternity, for immortality? But in fact, the Bible is clear about that. It says back in our passage in, in Daniel 12, that there will be some to everlasting life and others to everlasting contempt. It's the same word. There's one word to describe both fates. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 25:46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, the righteous to eternal life. It's the same. So if you're going to say, well, maybe hell won't last forever, then you're going to say eternal life won't last forever either. Some of you are hearing this and you're thinking, wow, that's hard. I, 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 didn't, I don't like to talk about hell. I don't either. But I think when we look at the human beings around us, we should see that every single person is everlasting. And if that's true, if what Jesus says is true, and Jesus, uh, one-sixth of all he preached on was about hell. Did you know that? Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in the entire scriptures. But he did it so that the future would change how we live now. And how we interact with other people around us now. And if you're thinking, well, Matt, I don't like the thought of that. That doesn't mean it's not true. Okay, I don't like green beans. I don't like coronaviruses, and I don't like human trafficking, yet all those things exist in our world. Some say, well, I don't understand it. Well, I don't understand quarks or chaos theory or, or black holes, yet those things seem to exist. 
And some of you are like, well, it, it just seems so harsh. How could a, a good God judge people so harshly? But the Bible is exceedingly clear that not only is God loving and kind and merciful, but he's also just. And the scriptures are very clear that anyone who does face eternal punishment is getting their just rewards. Jesus talked about different levels of punishment too. So hell won't be as bad for people that perhaps are not as grave offenders as others. You know, the guy that held four women in his basement in Ohio, you know, he was sentenced to over 400 years in our court systems because one life would not be a long enough punishment. Okay, his punishment will probably be worse in the afterlife. The, the reality is that a just God must give people a just punishment for what they have done. And it's just. It's according to what they have done. And I believe that the fact that God lets us make the choice not to be with him is him being a just and loving God. G.K. Chesterton said as much when he said that hell is God's great compliment to the reality of human freedom and the dignity of human choice. If humans are given free will and the choice to choose whatever they want, some of them are going to choose not to be in heaven for eternity. I think C.S. Lewis is right when he said that the gates of hell are locked from the inside. Because there are people who don't want to be here this morning. They think going to church would be torture, right? Being in heaven with a God who rules over all, that would be torture for some people, right? You know the people I'm talking about. They're your friends and family member, perhaps. Oh, the last place I want to be caught dead in is a church. Thinking about worshiping forever and hearing praise music. Oh, that's torture to people, right? That's why Milton, the great poet, said, it is better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Because people choose on their own accord to be away from God. And God says, okay, have your will. That's so why C.S. Lewis, again, in his book, The Great Divorce, says there are only two types of people, those, to whom, those to, who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. They choose that. And if you're thinking, well, why would someone choose torture? Why would someone choose contempt and destruction? I think we all know people, even people we love, that make terrible choices that destroy themselves, and they keep making the same bad choices again and again and again. You try to intervene. You even do an intervention with people. You go take them to counseling, and yet they keep making the bad, destructive choices in their life. I, I think there are some people that are so opposed to God that they will continue to do that forever. And, and that's why what happens in this life is so important. Because people are given every single opportunity. In Romans, we're told that the invisible qualities of God are, are seen by all people. That every person within their conscience knows that there's right or wrong, has a feeling and a sense that there's a God that exists. So we are all without excuse, it says. Every single human being who is alive has opportunity for redemption from God. And yet people choose to turn away from God and to do their will and sin. And God says, if that's what you want, you can have it for eternity. You know, some of you are like, well, why doesn't God intervene? Why doesn't he do something for these people that are turning away from him, that are sinning and that are choosing rebellion? Well, he did. He sent prophet after prophet. He wrote books for them. He even sent his own son. And when he sent his son, he came down in human form, God himself, to walk among us, to show us what God is like, how he loves people. He cares about every single human being. He treats people with dignity and respect. And that he would serve them, wash their feet, touch the people that nobody else would even get a stone's throw away from. And Jesus loved them so much that they put him to death and he still, still said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
God cared so much to send his son to die in our place. And it's the simplest thing that if you just put your faith in Jesus, we're told, if we believe in our heart that, that Jesus is Lord, if we declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. It's simple. And God made it so simple. He did everything for us by sending his son to die on the cross. And that's how we get our name written in the book of life. So the real question isn't, why would a good God send people to hell? But why would people choose to go to hell? Why would anyone choose hell over a loving God? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense when you hear the truth and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it's so simple to be saved. I'm saying all of this right now because I think this has profound implications for us. If these doctrines that every single person is everlasting, that there are only two fates for eternity for all human beings, I believe that that future should drastically change what we do now. And I want to give you just three applications right now. Three applications. And the first one is to respect everyone now. The first thing is to respect everyone. Every single person. If you keep reading in verse 3 of Daniel... It says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. They will shine. Jesus picked this up and he said, let your light shine before others. Practice your good deeds. Serve people. Love people. Even people that are different from you. Respect everyone. Love everyone. Now, I, I think if you think about the eternality, the everlasting nature of every human being, you will treat them differently. If I think there's a person that I will never see again in my life, I treat them differently than someone I'm going to be roommates with. Like, got to keep the peace. Got to be kind, right? I remember this because um, when I was in Nebraska, first year as a pastor, we had this group of young adults. We were trying to do some evangelism. We had an event. We were all going to Froyo and then the movies. And there was uh, two guys that came with us, uh, unbelievers. They were unchurched and they came with us. And I remember I was driving and I missed my turn. So what did I do? I cut off the car behind me, right? Anybody done that? I cut off the car so I could turn right and make it. I didn't want to wait or, or turn around. I, I just cut them off. And Melissa was like, why did you do that? That's, that's so rude. I'm like, eh, because I'll never see him again, right? Except when I got to the movie theater, who was in that car behind me? <laughs> Those two unchurched guys. And I felt so ashamed, right? I'm like, oh, I'm trying to win, be winsome to these guys and love them and be kind to them. And I just cut them off pretty rudely. See, if I thought about their eternality, I was ashamed of it. And I would have treated them with more dignity and respect, even random people that we meet. Think about this. Someone that you cut off when you're driving home from church today, please don't do that. could be someone you will spend eternity with. Don't you think that changes how we treat people now? So I'm saying, do as I didn't do, right? Treat everyone with respect now. That's the first thing. The second thing is to evangelize everyone now. Evangelize everyone now. And by the word evangelism, it means to share the gospel, the good news. By your life, by your actions, by your words, to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone. Uh, if you read the very end of verse 3, it says, uh, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. If you want to shine forever and ever into eternity, lead more people to the righteousness that is found in Christ. So when we lead people to the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that's a powerful, profound thing. Because if people could be immortal horrors, as C.S. Lewis said, wouldn't you want to do everything you can to bring them into everlasting life? This would be simple things like being kind and loving to them, 
Maybe inviting them to church, come out here, or, or inviting them to live stream. Man, it never has been easier to invite people to church to hear the good news. Maybe it could be to pray for someone, to care for them, get into real spiritual conversations with them. It, it, it might be reading the Bible with them or giving them a book. I had a neighbor this week. He was only there since January, but he was moving away already, and I never had a chance to get a real spiritual conversation with him. So I brought a book to him, a book that I really love called The Problem of God, and I gave it to him, and he said, I'm going to read this. I said, awesome, and he has my phone number. I'm going to follow up in a little bit, see if he read it, if he wants to talk. Because he could be someone that I could spend eternity with or could be an immortal horror, and I don't know. None of us know the fate of the people around us. So we can do that. We can do these little things to evangelize everyone now. And here's the third thing. Listen to me, okay? I know it's hot. I know we're getting long in here. I know you're getting hungry. You're watching online. I want to say you need to secure your everlasting future now. Okay, this, this drastically impacts how we treat the other people around us, but it should be so important, as you hear my voice, for what we do today. Have you secured your everlasting future now? Do you know if your name is written in that book of life? Because that's what will matter on that last day. Is your name written in the book of life? In Revelation 20, we, we do see this, this very clear image of what's going to happen on that last day. It says, verse 12, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Interesting, there's books and then one book. He says, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. But then jump down to verse 15. It says, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We're all going to be judged according to what we've done. Did you know that? Every single one of us will. But then when we say, wow, I have sinned. I did not treat that person with dignity and respect. I did not evangelize that person when I should have. Uh, we will feel shame, perhaps, in that moment. But then... There's that second book that's opened up. And that is the only book that matters. The book of life. Because if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son, your name is written in that book forever. And God will look at us and say, yes, you are a sinner, but I only see the righteousness of Christ. That Jesus has paid it all for you to forgive all your sins, and you are unblemished and righteous before me today. And for that reason, you will spend eternity where there is no more sickness, sorrow, pain, or death. There is eternal joy that there's the feasting and rejoicing that all the saints for all times, the loved ones that have gone before, will be there in the presence of God and we will be rejoicing forever. That's where I want to be and I want you to be there with me. So I want you to secure your everlasting future today. Don't wait. You can't do it, but Jesus did it for you. So put your faith in Jesus Christ the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. So I want to give you that opportunity right now. Um, I don't know if I have a musician coming up, but even if we don't have music, okay, I think this is so important, and I want you to just bow your heads with me, every single person right now. If you're watching online, just take a moment. This is so important for you. I want you to secure your everlasting future, and it's just going to take a simple prayer. So I'm going to read a prayer with you. And you can just repeat this prayer after me. Because this is how we declare Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Father, I know that I am a sinner. And ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. Please give me the gift of everlasting life. I accept your gift 
and your Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you and serve you all the days of my life. Amen. Now, if you said that prayer for the first time, whether you're here in person or you're watching online or listening to my voice as you're listening to this weeks from now or months from now, and you made that decision for the first time, I want you to text in the word follow. Seriously, this is important. I want to connect with you. Text in the word follow to the number that's on the screen. 720-707-1757. Text follow to 720-707-1757. And I want to just say a prayer for everyone right now. So would you please bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Lord God, we don't like talking about hell. We don't like thinking about everlasting torment or that there could be immortal horrors. But Lord God, we pray that your word as it is proclaimed today as we hear it, that we would respond in faith. That whether we, we, we die today or 50 years from now, whether it's the end times now or, or never in our lifetime, Lord God, I pray that we would be prepared now and it would change how we treat other people and that our future would be secure. Lord God, I pray that you bless those who are bold enough to cry out to you today to declare you their Lord and Savior and accept that gift of forgiveness and everlasting life. Please bless them as they go, Lord God, as we rejoice in the presence of the angels.